0: It's 12.03 on the Friday edition of the Noon Business Hour. For Rob Hart, I'm Jim Goodis. It's important to teach children the fundamentals of money at an early age. We'll get some tips in our next segment here on the Noon Business Hour, presented by the Village of Bedford Park. But right now, the government jobs report for June leads today's data. And let's break it down with the help of Carl Tenenbaum, the chief economist at Northern Trust here in Chicago. So, Carl, let's break down those numbers. And it seems, as I was talking to you earlier today that uh, these are sort of a happy medium. So tell me your thoughts on these numbers.
1: Jim, good afternoon. Uh, Yes, I think it is a happy medium. I think it does substantiate that uh, while there has been speculation about the American economy flipping into recession, one of the most important indicators that we get all month is not indicating that. We got strong job gains continuing to make up for the deficits created by the pandemic. And uh, the hourly wage number gets a lot of attention. Jim, we've been worried a little bit about a wage and price spiral. So uh, consumers paying more for gasoline may march into their bosses' offices and ask for a commensurate increase in their pay, and then as that company has to increase their prices, you get a reinforcing mechanism. Hourly earnings are only up three-tenths of one percent. We are beginning to see some prices crack a little bit with commodities uh, in the lead there, and that really holds out hope that we'll avoid the kind of self-sustaining inflation that was so problematic in the United States uh, 45 years ago. Carl, one question, I guess, is
0: are we getting the jobs where we need them, or are there still some issues about Some areas where maybe there's too much demand and in other areas where there's too much supply.
1: The evidence that we got early this week, Jim, on the number of job openings clearly suggests that in a lot of areas, there's still a lot of demand relative to supply. The number of openings in the American economy is about two times those who are actively looking for work. And as a result, those who are willing to change jobs, uh, which is at a record level now, are finding lots of opportunities I'm happy to see that leisure and hospitality are beginning to catch up as Americans are making their way across the country for the first time meaningfully since the pandemic started. Service levels at airports, hotels are certainly a point of sensitivity and glad to see that businesses are making up for that. But I think we're going to end up in a situation where we're still going to have job demand enough to keep people uh, with ample opportunities, but maybe just not quite as hot as things had been over the last three to six months.
0: Carl, anything about these numbers that we're either not hearing about or we haven't talked about, something that people need to know?
1: The only small thing that I was able to pick up in in my reading is that uh, I think we do still need to respect the pandemic. While it isn't creating the serious medical emergencies, it is creating absenteeism at a lot of offices, and that's something that businesses are having to deal with. Uh, Just concluding, I I think that uh, while there's a lot of debate, the numbers today take the recession fear down quite a few octaves, and that probably sets the stage for a 75 basis point rate increase from the Fed at the end of this month.
0: So when you say brings it down, is it that promising or is it just that we're at less of a risk at this point?
1: I would say we're at less of a risk, but boy, the rhetoric in the weeks uh, the recent, recent weeks has been that not only is one coming, but we might already be in one uh, today. And I think to this morning's numbers took those concerns off the table a little bit. That's Carl Tannenbaum, the Chief Economist at
0: Northern Trust here in Chicago. Coming up, money lessons for kids. Loaning useful information each weekday. The WBBM Noon Business Hour continues. It's never too soon to begin educating children about the basics of money, and let's look at some of the key issues with Mark Horner, the Wealth Advisor at Fairhaven Wealth Management in Wheaton, and the website you'll want to check out is fairhavenwealth.com. So... Mark, how young is the time when you should start teaching your children about the basics? I mean, I guess there's no better time than
2: now, regardless of how old they are, right? There is no better time than now, Jim. And actually, the answer to your first question is as soon as they're born. So uh, there are some credit cards that uh, that have no age minimum to, uh, to sign up, have an authorized signer added to the card. So you could, in the hospital... Uh, sign up your newborn as an authorized unit, user on your credit card to start uh, building their credit history. Now, there's a, the, the caveat of whatever credit history that, uh, that you have is going to follow them. So you want to be, be responsible so you don't drag them down if you, if you do have some credit challenges. But you can, you can start immediately helping your kids get, uh, get, get building credit even before they start talking.
0: So let's talk about as they age as they get into say preschool or then you know grade school then high school how does that money education evolve over those various ages
2: yeah so I'm a big fan of of just of putting kids in in circumstances where they're making their own decisions so that might be uh, helping them calculate the, the the tip at a restaurant to try and uh, to get a sense of of what things cost to go out to eat also to assign value to the service that they that they received. It's also good, just math practice for school. Uh, we, we set up, my wife and I set up something that we call the at-home 401k plan. So, for when our kids were were very young, we made a deal with them that uh, whatever money that they got, maybe from birthdays or Christmas, if they contri- if they put it into their savings account, we would match dollar for dollar whatever they whatever they put into the savings account, and that led to some wonderful conversations among them about what it is that they might do and what they what they very often ended up doing is striking a balance between keeping some money to spend today and then saving some money to get the match from mom and dad which is a perfect lesson of of, again striking that balance between spending some today but saving some for tomorrow
0: so the key here is just to get them in that behavior
2: of understanding money
0: the value of money and the importance of saving and investing and if you start that young it not only gives them a great education but of course you know many of us wish we had started investing younger you can make sure your children do indeed
2: absolutely so time is a huge ally probably your biggest ally in any in any sort of uh, any sort of investing goal and this and this this can be a lifelong uh, or really I think should be a lifelong experience of actively talking about, Money with the with your kids, and that includes both the good and the bad. And so sharing sharing with them good decisions that you might have made, and maybe decisions that you'd like to have over again, to help them learn from maybe mistakes that we've that we've all made. But yeah, getting their getting their hands on the wheel uh, as soon as soon as possible, I think is I think is a critical element to getting kids off to the right start with money. That's Mark Horner, the wealth advisor at Fairhaven
0: Wealth Management in Wheaton. And again, you can check out Mark's website at Fairhavenwealth.com. Thanks for another great set of tips and getting kids, hopefully, on the path to successful financial futures. Up next, the threat of cyber attacks on small businesses. Discussing the news affecting your money, the WBBM noon business hour continues. Security experts believe many small businesses aren't doing enough to protect themselves from cyber attacks and Let's find out why from Jerry Irvine, the CIO of Prescient Solutions and member of the U.S. Secret Service Electronic Crimes Task Force here in Chicago. So, Jerry, obviously anytime you are putting yourself in threat from cyber attacks, that's not great news, but how bad is the news here about the preparation of businesses for this?
3: Yeah, it's terrible. Over half of the uh uh, companies that are out there today have no uh, cybersecurity plan. They have no cybersecurity expertise uh, and and really have uh, very little protection. Uh, as a matter of fact, 90% of the small businesses out there do not have cybersecurity liability insurance. Um, but the problem is that the uh, expertise is, first off, it's few and far between. The number of cybersecurity experts that are out there um it is very minimal and not enough out there to go around uh, but additionally it's expensive so
0: these companies have a, a hard time finding uh, experts that uh, that can help them and is it something where yeah it might be expensive but you know what if you are a victim you're going to wish you spent that money because a victim of cyber crime cyber attacks that can get really costly
3: yeah, um, there's, they're saying right now that over 60% of the small to sized size businesses that get hacked go out of business within eight months. Um, and, and that's because they just lose so much data. So it, it's extremely important that they do it, not only for the small businesses, but for large businesses and for us as consumers. Uh, the problem is many of these small businesses are supply chain uh, members to large corporations. And so hackers get into their facilities because they have little expertise and little protection, and then they gain access into the large companies. Uh, This was exactly what happened with Target when they got hacked. Their heating and air conditioning company um, was monitoring their solutions. Somebody hacked into them, gained access to Target, was able to get into Target and grab all of their, their financial information.
0: So, Jerry, what is the best strategy here for small businesses? What do you recommend they do? to make sure they are safe? So
3: hiring an individual is going to be very difficult and expensive. Today, there are multiple options. First off, there are uh, web-based and cloud-based security solutions um, that, that will help and provide the type of protection that these organizations need. Um, they also need to go out and, and find consultants that will provide them a potential security officer um, you know, a, a part-time security officer, somebody that can come in and, and provide them the information. But probably most importantly is the training for their users. Uh, over 90% of all hacks happen as a result of some type of a phishing scam or email solution. Uh, training your individuals is extremely important. Teach them what to do and how to use good computer hygiene uh, as opposed to clicking on everything and opening links and doing that, um, we tell everybody this all the time, and yet it's still the the greatest number of hacks occur as a result of some type of email or phishing scam.
0: That's Jerry Irvine, the CIO of Prescient Solutions, a member of the U.S. Secret Service Electronic Crimes Task Force here in Chicago. Thanks, Jerry. Great advice. You'll want to listen to it to keep yourself safe online. Still ahead on Entrepreneur Friday, an update on a Chicago toy store.
2: What you'll wear on that third date. Download the Instacart app to get free delivery on your first three orders while supplies last. Minimum $10 per order. Additional terms apply.
0: This is Chicago's all-news station. News Radio 780 and 105.9 FM. The WBBM Noon Business Hour continues. And the Noon Business Hour presented by the Village of Bedford Park. For Rob Hart, I'm Jim Goodis. These are the top stories on News Radio WBBM. President Biden signs an executive order crafted to protect access to abortion. A special report from CBS coming up. The government jobs report for June is out. We'll take a look at local employment. On Entrepreneur Friday, we meet the owner of a Northside toy shop who makes a hands-on approach to business. Right now on Wall Street, the Dow is down 53, the S&P 500 is down 9, the NASDAQ is down 29 points. It's cloudy in 76 at O'Hare. This portion of the noon Business Hour is sponsored by FinishingChicago.com. B.S. News
4: Special Report. President Biden aiming to protect abortion rights.
5: The fastest way to restore woe, Roe is to pass a national law codifying Roe, which I will sign immediately upon its passage.
4: There's no action the president can take to restore the Supreme Court's decision, but he's hoping the executive order will help.
5: I'm asking the Justice Department that much like they did in the civil rights era to do something, do everything in their power to protect these women seeking to invoke their rights.
4: He says the order also aims to
5: protect the women's right to FDA approved the Federal Drug Administration approved medication that's been available for over 20 years.
4: Mr. Biden called the Supreme Court's decision to overturn Roe v. Wade extreme and totally wrongheaded. He said the fastest way to restore abortion rights was for everyone to get out and vote. CBS News Special Report. I'm Stacey Lynn.
0: This portion of the Noon Business Hour is sponsored by FinishingChicago.com. It's 1232. Lunch money for all generations. This is the WBBM Noon Business Hour. Stocks are trading lower and let's join the latest on what's happening and moving Wall Street as we bring in Jeff Kilberg, the chief investment officer at Sanctuary Wealth here in Chicago. So stocks up, stocks down today, all in reaction, I guess, to the jobs numbers. So let's talk first and get your reaction to those numbers and what they tell you.
6: Well, Jim, you're absolutely right. Pretty choppy trading today as we close out the week. But at the end of the day, this is a better-than-expected number. 372,000 jobs in June. That was higher than estimates of 268,000. So that actually reveals to me that growth is still happening. A lot of people are talking about recessions. I'm not in that camp of recession anytime soon. But specifically to the stock market, we are seeing a bit of a reaction, kind of up, kind of down. But that's okay. I think this is part of digesting this data. But what's really important is the way we have bounced look at the middle of June, that was the low in the S&P 500. We're nearly 10% higher. A lot of people got really pessimistic, almost peak pessimism. And now all of a sudden we're seeing the markets recover a little bit as next week really is a big week, Jim. We're talking about inflationary data. That's all the Fed is looking at to make their decision about raising interest rates again, which seems to be a foregone conclusion to continue to combat inflation. But we also have earnings season next week. So a lot to digest as we kind of close out the week, but pretty positive big picture.
0: All right, let's uh, get into a little more in-depth about what we can expect next week. So tell me, what are the key things? You've already talked about them a little bit, but let's expand. What are some of the key things we need to watch out for
6: next week? Well, CPI, Consumer Price Index, that really is the measurement. That's the measuring stick that the Federal Reserve is utilizing to really make their decision about how they're going to continue to raise rates again to bring, bring down inflation. I think inflation is coming down. It's going to naturally abate as the global markets continue to reopen. But on Wednesday, we will see that CPI number. And it's expected to register about 8.7% year-over-year growth. That's really high. Anything below that is really going to be a positive for the marketplace and maybe give the Fed a little bit of cover because they have to be really careful here, Jim? They cannot raise rates too fast, too much, because of the fact that they could tip us into recession. So they're trying to uh, pretend to thread the needle a little bit here. But this is all in the wake of the Federal Reserve probably buying way too many assets and expanding their balance sheet way too much in reaction to COVID nineteen.
0: So what is out there that we're not paying enough attention to right now that you think we should, or that people would be smart to keep
6: an eye on? Well, I think it's market sentiment. Whenever you see too many people get to one side of the boat and the boat lists a little bit so negative, that's when you see markets go the other way. So I'm actually quite optimistic. I'm cautiously optimistic, Jim, but I think the earnings season is going to be critical. We're going to see the big banks kick off next week, and I think companies have really figured out how to become more nimble in the wake of COVID. So I'm expecting to see earnings. I know earnings growth is slowing for year, but it is not stopping, and profits are still there. And one key takeaway is that this pullback – S&P 500 going under 20%, more than 20% is considered a bear market. But this was due to interest rates. This wasn't due to profit. So I still think the U.S. economy is in a good spot. I think we're going to see that revealed in the earnings season. So I want to be cautiously optimistic here, and I think this is where you reposition, buy some of those blue-chip tangible stocks that we talk all the time about. If you think about United Health, if you think about some of these names that are kind of unloved, but Lockheed Martin, Archer Daniels, IBM, Johnson & Johnson, those are names that are going to really find a way to recover when we do see the markets come back, which is my forecast for Q4 of 2022.
0: Those sound like pretty traditional solid stocks. Is is that where we put things right now to kind of preserve and protect?
6: Well, Jim, at Sanctuary Wealth, we've been tilting portfolios out of growth into value. So some of these boring names, boring is a new sexy, Jim. So this is where we're at. We're owning these blue-chip tangible names because if you look at any year going back 85 years of a midterm election, you see all the earnings come in and end of Q3, end of Q4, we get some certainty. Believe it or not, this market is political, so you have to be positioned properly. And yes, we do like that industrial undercurrent of blue-chip tangible names.
0: I'd like boring and predictable rather than exciting and, oh, my gosh, what just <laughs> happened to my portfolio. Jeff Kilberg, the Chief Investment Officer at Sanctuary Wealth here in Chicago, always great to talk with you. Thank you. On Entrepreneur Friday coming up, a visit with the owner of an independent toy store in Chicago's Lincoln Square neighborhood. The only program dedicated to currency events. You're listening to the WBBM Noon Business Hour. It's Entrepreneur Friday on the WBBM Noon Business Hour. And this afternoon, we welcome Scott Friedland, the head shopkeeper What a great title at Timeless Toys in Lincoln Square. So, Scott, you're on because you have mastered two things, which a lot of businesses, including a lot, a lot bigger than you, have figured out. How to deal with the pandemic and supply chain issues. So, how have you done it? Well, uh, a little bit of luck. (laughs) But uh, honestly,
4: we've taken some really bold projections. Um, We've worked with new manufacturers to to resource products that we we would have carried from manufacturers that had some backups. Um, And we're taking really bold projections out through the year and through the fourth quarter. And we're ordering really early and really often to try and combat those late year uh, shipping shortages.
0: So you're saying, you know what, we're going to be optimistic, we're going to be proactive, and when the holidays come, if people are hopefully going to shop regardless at Timeless Toys, but if maybe they're not finding things at maybe the big box retailers or something, you're going to be sure that you have what they want in stock.
4: Absolutely. It helped us out a lot last year. We ordered really early, and we ordered in large quantities to make sure that we were able to get shipped our product. And it happened last year we had people around the country that were finding what they were looking for on our website and they couldn't find it anywhere else um and it really helped us gain a new customer base
0: scott is it something that a lot of businesses like yours maybe of your size maybe they don't act as boldly as they should in times like um, these and, and is that or is that something that uh, you know maybe is just unique to timeless toys You know what? There are definitely some other small businesses out there that are being uh, risky
4: like us as well. It's a really hard thing to do. There's so many people who they may not have the financial stability to be able to pull this off or or they might not have the storage facility. Um, We're lucky that we have a large large warehouse connected to our store so we can stock uh, for large periods of time. And um, generally, as a business owner, I'm a pretty big risk taker. So I like to jump out and and throw. It's like throwing spaghetti against the wall and seeing what sticks. Um, I like to to throw ideas out there, take some risks, and see what can make our business better.
0: And with that, do you have to be willing to go out on a limb, willing to take a risk, not be afraid of necessarily failure? Because sometimes you need to fail a couple of times to end up succeeding in the long run, right? Yeah, absolutely. You got to put
4: yourself out there. You got to take some risk with the business. You know, we've done it before. Um, back in 2018, I opened up, I took the risk of opening up a kids' clothing store in, in, um, in Lincoln Square called Timeless Tots. Well, you know what? Two years in, that store wasn't working for us and we had to shut it down. So, um, but, you know, I consider that a win for us. You know, we, we, we had a short term loss and, and some risk taken. We lost a little bit of money, but it actually made our business better, and it taught me a lot about our business model. And that's the way I see taking these risks with product ordering and that type of stuff, too, is if we can take the risk and gain the customer, yeah, you got to be willing to to see what happens on the back end. And at the end, we might be left over with some extra products, but I'm hoping that we don't. I'm hoping that we gain some new customers and that we can serve our customers what they're looking for, more importantly.
0: So, Scott, we've talked about, you know, how you've been able to deal with COVID, how you were able to deal with the supply chain. Let's talk about Timeless Toys and what makes it unique, what makes it a success. What are you doing to compete in this space and compete as a smaller business to bring in those customers? I think what
4: Timeless Toys is doing really unique is that we carry really unique products from across multiple categories. And most importantly, we have a staff that's all trained in early childhood development, child psychology. So we're really interested in the way that play affects uh, child learning and child development. So when you come into Timeless Toys, you talk to our staff, and we're going to find the perfect toy for your kid and not necessarily what the biggest Netflix and YouTube things are for them. Um, You know, we're going to find the right toy for them. And having that longevity and the toy that really makes that kid thrive in life Uh, it's going to, is what keeps customers coming back to us is that we truly do care about their kids and what they're learning in life.
0: Scott, I have to ask what's your favorite
4: toy and why? Oh my goodness. That's a really hard question. Um, so totally nostalgia wise, I love vehicles. Um, I was really into, uh, Hot Wheels as a kid and my four-year-old is really into them now. So we love building tracks and crashing vehicles. Um, but honestly, my, my all-time favorite toy, I just love the standard wooden building blocks. I'm the kind of person who I don't like instructions. I just want to build things and create whatever my imagination lets me. And that's why I love just the standard building blocks. Just give me a pile of blocks. I'll be busy for hours.
0: That's Scott Friedland, the head shopkeeper at Timeless Toys in Lincoln Square. Scott, thanks so much for joining us. I think you've got a fun job. Still ahead, a look at the local jobs market. Loaning useful information each weekday. The WBBM Noon Business Hour continues. The government employment report for June out today, stronger than expected nationally. Let's see how things are looking here in the Chicago area. We're joined by Rick Cobb, the founder of workplace consulting firm to discern here in Chicago. So, Rick, how is the local job picture and prospect right now?
5: Well, if you're looking for a job, uh, the market is great for all of Illinois. If you're trying to find people to hire, the, the picture's not as good. Um, you know, if you look at nationally, we're now well past the pre-pandemic employment numbers in terms of number of jobs uh, that, that have been filled. The challenge in Illinois, though, is that uh, we have one of the largest populations in two categories. Uh, one, those retiring. So as those people retire, they're not available to go to work. And then the other one is uh, the exodus. We've got eight consecutive years of uh, people leaving Illinois. So I get the bright spot. Then is there's lots of jobs out there and lots of opportunity for people that are looking. Uh, the challenge is for the employers, though, is how do I find those people and and get them into my get them into my organization?
0: Rick, I think you could retire if you could answer this question completely, but I'll <laughs> ask it anyway. What do employers need to do to get the workers they need?
5: Yeah, it it it, I, it really sounds uh, soft or or pandering, but it, it the dynamics of work are changing and will continue to change, and so the idea that you have this structured traditional job, I'm am you know, supervisor of a manufacturing environment, and I, this is the way I was raised, or I'm uh, I work for one of the big accounting firms, and this is how you do it in order to make partner. The population is not interested in the partner track anymore. They're interested in uh, participation in an organization, being part of something, being part of a mission, and being recognized as individuals. That doesn't really align very well with super large companies, and, and a lot of the smaller companies don't have the ability to do it. But where you do where you actually attend to those people and recognize them, it's not soft, but actually make them part of the solution, uh, you can attract and retain. It's, it's, uh, it's, it's more of a human relationship thing than it is how much money you pay, because I can always pay more than the other person to get you away.
0: That's Rick Cobb, the founder of the workplace consulting firm to discern here in Chicago. If you missed any part of today's noon business hour, no worries. We have the replay of podcast available shortly for you at wbbmnewsradio.com and on the Odyssey app. We get it. Attention spans just aren't what they used to be. Heads in social media and eyes on Netflix. But what do people do with their ears? Well, for one, they're listening to audio. Americans spend 4.4 hours with audio every day. Oh, and you want the proof?